lovely people and welcome back to the fourth episode of Compete Conversations. And wowee, has this time absolutely flown. It is Michaela Welty here, accredited sports dietitian with Compete Nutrition and your faithful host of Compete Conversations. And I am so excited, as always, I feel like I say that at the beginning of every episode, um, to have sat down today with the wonderful Hermes. Now, Hermes is a fellow accredited sports dietitian. He actually was the first official full-time employee with um, Compete Nutrition, obviously following co-founders Dan and Alicia starting the company. And it was so lovely to sit down with Hermes because he's a man of such little words, um, but whenever he opens his mouth and speaks, he just has a way with words and is quite an inspiring person to listen to. So I'm so excited for you all to actually hear just some pieces of his wisdom. Um, he, he likes to refer to himself as a master, a jack of all trades, but a master at none. Um, and it definitely comes across in this conversation with how much he has going on and how much he, how many balls he has up in the air and how many balls he's juggling and, at any given time. Um, but it's also great to find out what it's like growing up in Australia as an immigrant um, to the country and also what it's like to, you know, experience your first diet as a male in your early teenage years. Um, I think sometimes we focus a lot on females um, and diet culture. So it's great. It was great for me and I'm sure you guys will appreciate it. But it's great to hear a different perspective and highlight that it's definitely not... Um, I guess diet culture doesn't favour just females and it's not biased towards gender. Um, unfortunately, it happens among a lot of us, particularly in those really formative years of the teenage years. Um, so it's been great to listen to his story and, and find some insight out as to a different demographic to myself. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. I loved listening to it and I actually struggled to cut it short and, and to stay in the normal time frame that we kind of allow for these compete conversations. I honestly could have sat down um, from for the rest of the day and listened to um, Hermes speak. And you will hear at the very beginning, a little bit of a surprise visitor into our um, conversation. I almost wish that I could attach the video footage um, to this podcast audio with that visitor coming on screen, um, because I reckon my facial expressions would have been absolutely priceless. Um, and it'll make sense once you listen. So sit back, relax, enjoy. Um, this fourth episode of Compete Conversations with accredited sports dietitian Hermes Pilotta. We're good to get started? Yeah. I've got a little doggy oh. here, so um, she might interrupt. But oh, right. that's all right. We can give a disclaimer. That's fine. What's her name? Uh, Porcini. Porcini? She's yeah, she's a foster dog. Yeah. Isn't she Porcini is. a mushroom? Yeah, it's a mushroom. She, um, we picked her up the other day. Oh, so you've only just got her? Yeah, she's a foster dog. Like we're, we're just looking after her for like three or four months and then she's good to be adopted. Oh, you're such a good human. For those listening, this was not meant to have started recording yet, but I'm now speaking to Hermes, one of our Compete Nutrition team members. Um, and this is the second episode of our Compete Conversations. And I've just seen a dog, obviously we're over Zoom being in isolation, and I've just seen a dog walk in and didn't know that Hermes had a dog. And turns out he doesn't actually normally have a dog and that he's a great human and fosters them. Yeah, well, this is the first dog we've actually fostered. So it's, it's been a great experience so far. She's, she's an angel, like she's unbelievable. 
we'll, we'll officially start now. Um, so welcome, Hermes. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, so the first thing I want to start with and what I have been starting with is everyone is what's your role at Compete Nutrition and when did you come on board um, with Compete? Yeah, uh, so I'll answer the second one first because it's easier. I came on board um, exactly two years ago, probably. So roughly, um, yeah, May of 2018. So it's been two years um, that I've been at Compete Nutrition now. Um, and my role is a little bit diverse. So I started as a sports dietitian. Um, I sort of changed the role a couple of times, um, you know, more into that operation side of things. So I do look after a couple of different things. Um, at the moment, I'm, I'm sort of the guy in the background doing a lot of the background work, um, as well as, you know, obviously working with clients day in, day out to, you know, help with their performance. So yeah, sports dietitians, operations, I don't know, those sorts of things um, all come into it. And do you have a preference of I guess your favorite role out of everything that you do, or is it good to have that diversity and you don't really see yourself getting bored with anything that you're doing? No, that's exactly right. I, I don't like doing the same thing day in, day out. I just get really, really bored. So I prefer to have a massive you know, diversity in my role. I like to do different things every single day. I like to uh, still be able to interact with the athlete because that's where I, you know, that's what I like. That's my passion. Still be able to work with athletes, improve on, you know, what they're doing, their overall performance and, you know, help them reach their goals. But ultimately, um, you know, the operation side, the, the content marketing side, you know, those sorts of things are really important as well. Um, you know, basically just to get the information out there and to, to help. Um, and I definitely enjoy that side of things as well. So uh, I think, uh, you know, the saying is um, that basically I'm, I'm a, a jack of all trades, master of none. And I completely, I, I guess, agree with that. But I'd, I'd rather be a jack of all trades. It's like where I fit in. It's like my um yeah comfort zone i guess that's so awesome i feel like it's a common common trait amongst all of us at compete none of us really like doing the same thing or sitting still or i feel like we've, we're, no, we're all no, no. a little bit on the um the hyperactive spectrum <laughs> with with regards to absolutely yeah <laughs> how good all right so i want to take it back um a little bit so pre-compete i want to know a bit more about childhood hermes so for those listening hermes is probably one of our team members that is the most mysterious um you know a lot of us are quite open books um like myself i talk a lot and so there's nothing really secret about me um but hermes is a little bit more mysterious so i'd love to know what you were like as a kid um, and how you changed from that transition from being a kid to kind of your teenage years Oh, um, I don't know, I guess, so I guess starting from the beginning, I was born in Italy. Um, so, you know, the, I guess the process of moving to Australia was a difficult one, particularly with learning the language. Um, so I moved over, I, I did a, a little bit of schooling over in Italy. I did a little bit of school, most of my schooling here. So I moved over when I was in, the, in year one, the end of year one. So really only started learning English in like year two and three. Um, so that transition was pretty difficult, um, which I think contributed a lot to sort of how I'm a little bit more reserved at the moment and I pick my moments when I need to talk. Um, I think it's important, or I, I think I've developed that over time to just sort of try to understand and think before I speak more than anything. So I think that's where that's coming from. Um, and I, I guess that's that's where that I was, oh, you know, I was just a normal kid, um, you know, grew up uh, playing on the streets and then 
uh, you know, came here, did every, you know, what a normal kid did. I was just that slightly different. I was considered, I guess, a wog, like, like a lot of people are who come from overseas. And um, I did fit in with that tribe a little bit more. Um, and then over time I developed that and I guess I got into more of like that, that sporting circle. Um, you know, a lot of my friends were, um, you know, of, of a similar sort of demographic where they came from, you know, different backgrounds as well. So that helped. Um, and I guess that sort of developed my personality a little bit growing up. Um, and it's not something I really think about much, but it's definitely something that's, that's shaped me that sort of coming through um, from Italy, which which I, I love a lot. Like it, it's a country I definitely love um, um, and love to go back to and, and enjoy, um, you know, and but basically um, I've had to be, I guess, a hybrid between the Aussie side of me and the Italian side of me. And I guess that's sort of, that's come up through my childhood. Well, I actually didn't know you were born in Italy. That's, that's, um, yeah, not many yeah people being, new to me. Yeah. How awesome. I feel like I'm going to learn so many new things in this, this chat. <laughs> I guess, um, the two questions that come to me after hearing that is what was the, the reason that you moved to Australia originally? Was it work for your parents or was it just a lifestyle change? Yeah. Yeah, it was mainly just opportunity. Um, my parents, so my dad's parents were already here. Um, it was, you know, opportunity. It was, you know, basically, you know, work and finding uh, my dad's in fashion. So he, he moved from Italy to here and, and worked in in that side of things. Um, and, and it was just a, a matter of, you know, better opportunity, better better lifestyle and just trying to start sort of something new um, with, with yeah, family support, I guess, as well. Um, yeah, so that was probably the, the main reason for moving over. Yeah. And when you commented before on being classified as a wog growing up, can you tell me a little bit about how that made you feel? I'm, I'm, um, the reason I ask is my grandparents are French and, um, they actually find the, the term wog quite derogatory. Um, and I don't know whether that's a generational thing because I know when I was at high school, there was the WOG group and it was kind of like a badge 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 of honor, sorry, in um, our kind of generation. But did you ever find that, um, like, w was that a term that you're okay with being called or what were kind of your thoughts behind that? Oh, I, I loved, I loved being called a WOG. Yeah. I thought it was more a strength more than anything. Like I didn't see, no one was really using it. it I, I understand that it was much more a derogatory term, uh, you know, back in the day, but mm. I, I thought it was, definite strength um you know i think you know and i'm sure we'll talk about this football was a became a massive part of what i did and and who i was and i think just that cultural background um that strength that came from being considered a wog um, was just massive it was important um i went to a school which was filled with you know greeks um croatians italians so for me it was like um like that was there, there was that rivalry. We would we would go at each other every single day about what Italians invented compared to what Greeks <laughs> invented. Like it was something, like it was just something that we did. And for us, it was like being called a wog was just great because it yeah, was just okay. who we were. And um, like and that I think you know and and it was about that competition, but also it was really fun as well to be part of that group. So yeah, I never I never considered it to be an issue. Um, uh, I I just really felt like I actually belonged to something more than anything. Um, yeah. And, and particularly, you know, coming from Italy at a, such a young age, it helped me reconnect yeah. to, to those roots. 
I, that makes me laugh so much because I, I just had the memory of Easter time a couple of weeks ago and we're in a, um, our team meeting in the morning and I brought up a Greek tradition and you got so offended. You were like, that's not us, that's the Greeks. Uh, so it makes so much sense, that rivalry. I love it. How good. I, I suppose that's probably where yeah. your interest in sport comes in and that competitive nature. So tell us about that. Obviously, you played soccer growing up, but was there any other sports um, that you were really interested in? And how did your kind of soccer career during your childhood and into your teen years um, come about? You know, who did you play for, all of those things? Yeah, I wouldn't really call it a career. So I started playing soccer really late okay. uh, for a variety of reasons, partly because I was sort of in between, you know, there was movement and in, in between a couple of things. And um, I was actually overweight for a lot of my childhood, um, you know, going into my teen years. So I only started really playing soccer for more like the fitness side of things. Um, but but I've, I've always had a passion in it. I was always interested in it. I was always watching it, uh, you, know, being, you know, being an Italian kid, it was something that you sort of had to do. Blood. Um, yeah, yeah. Along with, um, you know, my, my dad was was a, was a cyclist as well as I was growing up. So cycling was definitely a big thing as well that I used to watch a lot. Um, but I sort of just moved into football more than anything. Um, yeah, it was it was just the people I had around me. It was just the, the um, I guess, the environment I was in. And uh, I, it came at a great time, the 2003 world cup which is probably the best memory i have of football um or, or in sport in general where, where italy ended up winning the actual um world cup and it, it was just a crazy time where my parents would were going for the socceroos and i was still going for the italian national team and i was i've always been passionate about the italian national team and um i guess yeah it was just it was just an amazing feeling just uh you know getting up with the family uh, at like 4 a.m in the morning as we do here to watch games um every single night, whenever the Socceroos or whenever the Italian national team were playing, I don't think I missed the game at all. Um, and then obviously Italy knocked out Australia um, in you know, controversial circumstances. Um, and then Italy goes on and win it. So it, it was just an amazing- It was a penalty shootout. Is that right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, the penalty that was given in the last minute of the game to, to knock Australia out and then Italy, yes, won on penalty shootouts. So. Do you know what a funny story is? I was actually in Italy when this happened and I was at the Leaning Tower of Pisa and it was when the Australian-Italy game was on and we stood, up, uh, we stood out, sorry, like sore thumbs, me, my parents and my sister and everyone knew that we were Aussies and the streets were nuts. Wow. You could not drive anywhere for weeks. Like we were, I think we were in Italy for maybe 10 or 11 days and we struggled to get around anywhere like it just showed the love of football over there. And it's funny that that's like your most vivid memory and your happiest memory. And yeah, yeah. it's such a vivid memory for me. And I was only 12 years old. Like it was a massive deal for, for Italians. That's for sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's a massive deal all the time. Like it, you know, equivalent to like the Brazilians and you know, all the, all the big footballing teams. It's just in our blood. It's just what we do. It's just what we look like, like we look forward to. Um, and, and yeah, it would have been absolute chaos like that, that time just <laughs> with everything happening. Um, but yeah, that, that's really what sparked a lot of the interest. Um, and then I, I started playing as well. Um, you know, not that I was, I was average at best. I'm not going to deny that, but, um, I like the, the, the love of football was just there. Um, I did sort of work and improve. Uh, I ended up playing state league, uh, for a year before I had a pretty bad injury. Um, so 
you know, overall, uh, I guess for me, it was just about that constant improvement from that side of things um, and just being part of the community more than anything. Um, and then like the injury as well was a big um, instigating factor into what I ultimately wanted to become as well, which is, which sort of led into the strength conditioning side of things as well. Um, but yeah, that's sort of yeah. the process of, of what happened um, and, and that love of football, how it came about. And, and it's just been reinforced now. Um, you know, that's nothing that I like to watch more than, than, than football games. <laughs> as boring yeah, as that. Right. No, no. I, I think everyone, you know, no matter what sport you're into, the amazing thing is it brings so many different people together and um, and it gives you that real connection. So I like that before you, you said you had a tribe or you found your crew. And, um, and I think it's amazing that sport, something so basic, you know, if you think of how, what it actually is, people chasing a ball around a field for a lot of sports, like how that can bring so much joy is just incredible. I just want to quickly, before we get into um, your strength and conditioning work, um, and then obviously you becoming a dietitian, I just want to cycle back um, to your comment about you being an overweight child and, and kind of using soccer as that fitness component in the beginning more than anything else. Can you chat us, to us a little bit more about um, if you remember any memories where you being overweight or did you ever have a moment where you identified that you may have been a little bit overweight as a child and how did that kind of affect your relationship with exercise or food if it did at all um, I always find it quite intriguing to kind of look back to childhood and I know we have all these blissful memories of our childhood but sometimes there's points where it can really shape what what our beliefs are around food in the future so did you have anything like that that you can remember that has really impacted you know your interest in nutrition now or or how you view food or your relationship with food now yeah i, I think um i think it's definitely impacted my interest in nutrition clearly i mean it's it's probably one of the biggest catalysts for that um i think you know, no one comes out of childhood unscathed. There's always stuff that happens that sort of influences what happens in the future as well. Um, uh, you know, my, I think one of the biggest factors for me becoming overweight was just the fact that we transitioned to a different lifestyle, different culture with different foods. You know, different foods were available to my parents. Uh, my parents were accessing, you know, um, I guess uh, not what they would normally access. In Italy, it's very common to shop quite frequently. Everything's a little bit closer here. You have to get in the car. You have to travel a lot you know, further because we did live a little bit further away to where we um, went to work and school. Um, so like th those sorts of things um, affected, I guess, um, yeah, just my the nutrition side of things. And, I, and it was clear, um, yeah, I, it was clear that, um, you know, I was becoming overweight, not that that affected. I don't think it affected me um as as we would normally consider now in the dietetics business as like a disordered eating sort of way um mm -hmm. or anything like that i was you know i was more it was more as i hit high school um and there is a comment there, there was a comment that i do remember from one of the boys when we were actually taking our school photos where he just said like i can't remember the exact words but he said you're overweight or you're you're, you're fat or something um and, mm -hmm. and it, that was just it wasn't anything like um no, it, it, for me, it was just like, oh, well, maybe I should just do something about it. Um, but it didn't, like, it didn't impact me to, to, to go into, like, these crazy sort of, um, I guess, diet styles or types. I, for me, mm. it was just like, all right, so what do I have to do now? And I sort of, I remember thinking about, about it really rationally. Um, mm. It was just like, uh, you know, increase my physical <laughs> activity. 
and improve yep. eating. Like it was for me, it was pretty simple. Um, and as a kid, yep. simple because you're you've got so much growing to do and you've got all this stuff happening. Um, and my brother was older as well, so he like he was um, you know he was already in into sort of lifting and those sorts of things, or he was getting into sort of like that training side of things. So yeah, I ended up learning pretty quickly. Um, you know how to train, how to move. Um, so, you know, started sort of cleaning up the way I was eating really did spark that interest in nutrition. So I did start mm. learning about principles of nutrition, um, from a very basic level. And then, yeah, like I, I slowly just sort of transitioned into a healthier, but by, by year eight, so this was in year seven, um, by year eight. So, you know, looking at like 13, 14, I was, you know, I'd essentially lost basically all the weight, um, and then by like year nine and everything it was i still got my year seven photo and people don't recognize like that it's actually me uh, it's like mm. it's uh it's yeah it's so it, it was just something that i had to go through and and personally i like i really love the fact that people would come and and sort of congratulate me and say oh well like well done on losing the weight um because for me it wasn't about the actual numbers on the scales or the, or the weight lost it was just that i'd gone through a journey and actually achieved my outcome like that was more yeah that was the important part for me um that i'd put my that i'd set my sights on something and been able to achieve it so that's yeah yeah it's it's such an interesting conversation to have as adults looking back at that time because i think you know sometimes people forget and it, and it can be quite confronting um i don't know about you but as a dietitian seeing you know so many young teenagers and prepubescent teenagers even um, really having that conscious thought that they have to look a certain way or they have to be a certain size. Um, and I think social media definitely doesn't help, but I think your story really highlights and I hope everyone listening can identify this, that sometimes as well, like before puberty, kids are, you know, we have that baby fat and yeah, yeah. That's, that's just a normal part of growth as well. Like, you know, you'll go through ebbs and flows. Like I remember looking back to high school and realizing that all of the girls tended to grow in terms of height so much earlier than the guys. And, you know, you have that moment in year seven and eight when all the girls are taller than the boys. Mm. Um, and then by year 10, it's the complete opposite. All the girls have stopped growing in terms of height and the boys are like six foot and, you know, are growing into maybe the, 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 the baby fat where all the, the, um, the extra weight that they put on in that year seven and eight stage. So I think sometimes we get so caught up in, you know, this ideal view of what we should look like, particularly in those teenage years when we should just let that normal growth pattern happen. Yeah. And yes, obviously if it's a situation where um, it might be impacting health outcomes and everything like that, then it's definitely something um, to be aware of but sometimes you know just take a step back and and realize allow your body to grow in a way that it's supposed to um particularly in those teenage years so i hope if anyone's listening um to this that they can they can hear that message and and understand that your body will change so many times through those teenage years mm -hmm. before it settles down and kind of sets into that adult real shape um and that's completely okay yeah it's that um and don't you know don't fret about it yeah yeah um, yeah, so that, yeah, thanks for sharing that. And I, I know sometimes it can be confronting talking about these kind of things, but it's always nice to hear that, um, you know, it can just be a journey and you get to an outcome and that's great and you move on and that's what it is, you know, it doesn't need to be anything more complicated than that. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so I, I guess the next thing I wanted to, to ask um, is if we were to ask you back when you were a child what you wanted to be when you grow up, obviously earlier you said by kind of that year eight, year nine, that's when your really interest in strength and conditioning came about and that's when you kind of knew that that's the way you wanted to go with your, your life. But prior to that, what, what do you think you would have said if someone had said, what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, so as a kid, it was mainly, it was uh, being a vet because I loved animals. And, um, do you know what Leash said? Do you know Leash said exactly the same thing? <laughs> yeah, well, I think that was her answer. Thing, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, I love animals. Well, yeah. Um, and animals gravitated to me. So I just, I thought being a vet was, would be really cool. And then I also, um, I also wanted to be like a, like a games designer, but like a, like a video game designer. So that was a big one as well as I was growing up. So, wow. yeah, so it was very different, but like there was that technological side of things and also sort of the sciencey side of things. I was, um, and, and and like as an umbrella term, I always said I wanted to become a scientist. Like I, that was just the way, like I liked doing little experiments, like putting the egg in the vinegar or like doing little, like or trying to, you know, find different ways to achieve things. So that was what I wanted to be growing up. Yeah. Um, yeah. That I think so those three were sort of coming in and out. As I got older, it was more like that video game designer. As I was younger, it was more like the vet scientist. What do you think deterred you from wanting to continue down that vet avenue oh you just think you just grew out of the idea just grew out of the idea i think um i think different you know i found interest in different areas i found a purpose in different areas so yeah i guess yeah it was it was just you know uh, yeah growing up and maturing i guess yeah well you, you did stay true to your um your your ideas with the science side of things you know yeah, exactly. technically you're a food scientist with the dietetics and then an exercise scientist with the strength conditioning so you weren't too far off which is um sometimes really uncommon i feel like sometimes as a kid you have all these imaginations and these big dreams mm -hmm. and it's so far from where we end up and that's completely okay like it doesn't mean that you're not you know being successful in your life or anything like that it just shows the interest change over time um, but I always like asking the question because I think it, it tells a lot about a person what they think they want to be when they're a kid. Yeah, yeah. Um, so now I would love to know a little bit more about uh, we'll eventually get into, you know, working for Compete and, and what you what originally brought you on board. But prior to that, um, if the listeners haven't picked up on it, you are an, a strength and conditioning coach. Um, so tell us a little bit about your journey from high school until starting with Compete Nutrition. Yeah, cool. Um, oh, that's a that's that's a long journey. Um, so yeah, <laughs> we got time. Don't worry. <laughs> um, like as as a teenager, I started lifting weights. Um, it was like a sport at school. So if you had like Thursday sport, and you could start. You know, you could go to the gym instead of going to play on the field or play soccer or whatever. Or like, because because it was you know because we had different different sports at different times. Um, I went and. and yeah, started lifting in the gym with some friends. Um, really found it really like it was really good to um, you know, start doing that and, and, and start experiencing what that felt like as well. And obviously, you know, again, um, testosterone and all that starts kicking in. You've got boys that you're competing with who are telling you that they're lifting all those all those sorts of things come into it. Mm -hmm. But I just really enjoyed um, like just yeah the process of lifting um, and just strength training. 
though, and, and I and I realized how important it was from a, like a performance point of view, um, just being able to, you know, going from one day to the next and being able to add additional weight to, to a bar or whatever. It's just an amazing feeling to be able to progress like that in, in such you know, tangible terms. Um, so yeah, that's where I started with, with the weight training. Not that I did much of it during uh, high school because I was a bit of a nerd. Um, I focused a lot on my like year 11 and 12. It was a big focus of, for me to um, try to get a good ATAR. Um, yeah, so that ultimately I could get into whatever I wanted, um, which, which I, I guess I ultimately did. So yeah, HSC went well. I went into um, the double degree for exercise and sports science because I had those both of those interests. So exercise, sports science, um, and a master in nutrition dietetics, where essentially they prepped you in the first three years um, of the undergrad. They prepped you for going into the dietetics profession, so you had that background of sports science as well. Um, and then yeah, so I, I, I progressed through uni. I actually wanted to quit um, in my masters. I completely hated the dietetics degree um hopefully no one from sydney uni is listening but um because i actually i knew i i'd known from you know from like 13 14 after i went through my transformation and all of that that i wanted to be a sports dietitian and focus primarily on athletes and i wanted to work you know do that strength conditioning side of things the sports side of things was really important for me and it was where my passions lie so um, yeah, there was nothing on that, unfortunately, where, when I went to uni. So it was really tough to get through the subjects on, you know, a lot of the background stuff like community health, which is, I completely understand it's important, but it just wasn't where I wanted to be. Yeah. It was really, um, it was a tough time to get through that. But I, 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 in the meantime, I just started doing some coaching. I just stayed connected with the football space. I did coaching. I started getting my licenses. I started getting my strength conditioning licenses sorted, um, you know, in the background, just to make sure I was ready to, to you know, jump into whatever profession. Um, yeah, and I guess from there, it was, I, I did end up finishing uni. Um, you know, my placements were really good. Um, in, particular, in particular, I ended up going to Broken Hill. So if there are any dietitians who are contemplating going rural, um, you know, obviously whenever all of this mess arises, um, it's definitely a great experience to learn what it's like and just being in that space is, is great. Um, but very quickly, I realized the hospital wasn't for me. Like the, the community sort of um, programs weren't for me. I, I was very keen on doing the sports side of things. Um, and straight out of uni, I got into a full-time position with um, like a, a football academy. Um, working with, you know, doing coaching, strength, conditioning, dietetics, or combined. Um, so it gave me a good, you know, a, a great, the great ability to just combine the practices um, and integrate them. Um, yes, yeah, stayed there for a year and then um, ultimately just started working, you know, in different areas, moved on to private practice. Um, uh, was was I did end up connecting with Sydney FC from there. Um, so, uh, yeah, just, just worked with, um, the, the Sydney FC crew with a couple of their athletes started, you know, just started, um, assisting with their dietetics needs. Um, and then from there, that's when compete came along. Um, so yeah, I was just, as, as you know, a lot of dietitians doing many things, wearing many hats, coaching, mm -hmm. conditioning coach, um, you know, private practice, Sydney FC, and then. Yeah, uh, I saw this job, which I thought was originally part-time, um, come up. It was in Newcastle, but they didn't request 
that you know they didn't say that you had to move up to Newcastle that it was it was all remote so it was you know quite interesting for me um uh yeah and all you needed to do was write write answer a couple of questions which are similar to the questions you actually asked today and and submit a video so I did that um Kate encouraged me to do that and then um yeah and then I ended up getting a call well first I, I got a call from Dan who asked, mm -hmm. who asked me what they were working on or if I knew what they were working on. And I remember giving him like a pretty solid answer. Um, I remember him being relatively impressed with <laughs> me guessing what they were working on because it was pretty secret back then. Um, and then, you know, as much as Dan can be. And then, um, yeah. And yeah, I was about to say, yeah. Dan is a very hard person to impress. So you must have done a pretty epic job to have impressed him just off the phone, first phone call. Yeah. So he invited me up to Newcastle and we had a chat. We had, uh, I remember they, they laid out a platter of like sandwiches and salads and all of that stuff to, to have a chat. And yeah, that, that, that's it. Like they said, oh, well, like we'll, we'll let you know what's happening. Um, this was in the February. And the rest is history. Yeah, this was in the February. And then, in, 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 yeah, we progressed through there and, yeah, started working in May. And that was two years ago. So did you start full-time straight away? Yep. Yeah. 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 Maybe. But you're still doing SNC work outside, like continuing that? Because obviously you still have an, a, a big interest in the SNC stuff. So how do you find balancing both of those roles? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I guess the, the flexibility is important there. Um, when it comes to my strength conditioning, for me, it's more like like an outlet, um, like getting into that flow state. I'm sure you know when you're when you're when you're playing or when you're you know you're training as well. Like you you really enjoy just you just you know get away from everything else. Um, for me, coaching is much like that, like being on the pitch and training and coaching other players and showing or just seeing how quickly they can improve because I'm in the I'm in the youth academy space um so seeing how quickly they improve is just it's just it's it's great like it it it's something separate that you don't always get with nutrition because nutrition is such a like it's a, it's a very much a one percenter sort of slow burn kind of mm. um uh so it yeah from that side of things it's like two opposite ends of the spectrum where you can see with with strength conditioning you can see someone get better within a session sometimes um, particularly in that youth category exactly. like that age group there's massive change that can happen exactly. compared to like the professional area yeah 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 100 percent. and and so it is very much about just sort of just that balance of giving me something that's um you know external but that still lies within my passions and um that i find you know very interesting and um yeah and i, I guess it comes down to the flexibility that compete allows as well um which is which is amazing um and it's only a couple of days a week um and then obviously in the games as well so it, it's just it's and, and that feeling of winning is always great at the end of the week so yeah that's why i do yeah how good yeah. just with um with, with the current situation with the coronavirus and and obviously sporting clubs having to shut their doors um with the restrictions how have you found um, continuing that connection with your athletes? Um, you know, is there any advice that you would give or you have been giving your athletes around um, that resilience piece? I know, you know, we had CompeteCon a, a number of weeks ago now, a fortnight ago, um, and resilience was a big topic there. But I'd love to understand your kind of mindset um, and what you've been saying to your players in this time where, you know, training isn't normal and they're not playing games. Mm, yeah. It has been a tough time for everyone, 
particularly the athletes and and we've gone through the whole in you know the, that whole idea of losing identity particularly in this time when you when you're an athlete and you're used to training and luckily i find that a lot of the, the boys that are part of the the academy squad they're actually very self-motivated and and that's a blessing because it means that they want to be there that i've actually had you know very few problems with them continuing their training they're all very motivated to continue that process of, of getting better um it, it is it is about just constant touch points with them um you know we've mm. been able to do like your fun little engagement zoom webinars and you know doing yoga sessions um whenever we can or you know those sorts of things are, are really important but but you know it, first and foremost it comes from the fact that they're very much uh, a self-motivated group of boys who are willing to do the work and haven't really you know missed a beat they um they just it, it it's just about they know that for them this is the opportunity to to progress and become you know and achieve their goals become the athletes they want to become um and yeah. and, and this is all time that is like a perfect opportunity to try out and to do things that you wouldn't normally do when you're restricted by other um yeah like by other uh, commitments you know like it's you know you can do the you can work on your weaknesses you can work on the areas you don't typically work on for it's just so important and we've tried you know the coaching staff have been great um they've tried to identify areas to work on we've given them like weekly challenges to try out you know like juggling challenges or whatever just to keep them engaged yeah like it's just been you know and it's, you do what you can you just get them involved in whatsapp group you get them bantering um and and ultimately you know if hopefully we'll be back to training soon and uh, like ideally they'll be just in exactly where we left them um yeah i think that really highlights that you know it's really not about the the actual activities that we're doing or um you know what our schedule looks like i think this whole situation is really highlighted to me i don't know about you but that it's really just human connection no matter what kind or what form that human connection is in if we've got that we're okay mm. um and, and it's been amazing to see like i always say I'd wonder what it would be like if this happened 15, 20 years ago when the technology wasn't available. Because I think we're so blessed that we have the opportunity to still have that real human connection. Um, and, and I think it really brings it back to earth and, and shows us that there's so many more important things. You know, goals are great and sports performance great and long-term outcomes are great. But, you know, if we really have, if we don't have that human connection, it's kind of all worthless or pointless. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it brings back to reality, which has been, you know, definitely a blessing in disguise in this crazy time that we're living in. Mm. Talking about, um, you know, things that aren't related to sports performance and, and outcomes and things like that, I'd love to know what you enjoy doing shamelessly outside of work. So what, what do you enjoy? What keeps you happy? And it can't be to do with soccer because that's technically your work and it can't be to do with dietetics. Um, it has to be completely unrelated, um, but I'd love to know, yeah, what you shamelessly do when no one's watching and what brings pure joy to your life. This is a very well-placed question considering what we were just talking about. So um, I've actually rediscovered my PlayStation in the past um, two months <laughs> since coronavirus happened because of, just because it's available and because I have some downtime for the first time ever. Um, so yeah, like I, I just, in really enjoy sitting down and I sometimes sit down for a little bit too long um, and I just play like I just play and what games? just escape uh, mainly like shooting games like I've got you know a couple of yep. like 
like yeah your call of duties and ghost recons and shooting games and then i just chuck on fifa as well whenever i can and um of course (laughs) no surprise there (laughs) Um, yeah that's definitely one of them the other one i definitely enjoy um shamelessly is um you know sitting down of an evening just just watching netflix with kate um that's that's like that's just the best um and yeah having puppies around and stuff helps as well so yeah they're the yeah they're the they're the main things what would your recommendation be right now like what's your what's your go-to netflix show or movie uh ozark yeah ozark oh i knew i knew you were gonna say that it's like I feel like at the moment it's either Ozark or Normal People. Have you heard about Normal People? Oh, no, it's something I have to look into. Right. Yeah, so it's a, a remake of Sally. Oh, what's her name? It's a book remake. Right. Um, I, to be honest, I can't really get into it. I've been watching Ozark. I'm slowly getting through it. Yeah. Um, so I'm on board with that one because I think we all want to be a little bit more badass in our day-to-day life and i think ozark really represents that like it's just a, a kind of a normal family yeah. being real badass yeah. i like it yeah. <laughs> oh such a good recommendation and um i'd love to know a recommendation if you've got any uh for books have you read any books recently oh um books are my strong suit um i have read um i i like to go audiobooks more than anything because of yeah the amount of time I, I usually spend in the car. Um, so audiobooks are a great place. Um, from uh, like, I've got, I've got plenty of books lying around. Um, uh, there, there are obviously quite a few that are, that have been a big part of what I do. Um, a big one is ego is the enemy. So that's, that's a good one. Um, like I'm very big on stoicism mm-hmm. and those sorts of things. So I, I find, I've found that those, um, are great books to, to read um, like things like your seven habits of highly successful people, you know, more, more like sort of yeah. like uh, yeah. Uh, self-help sort of stuff is, is great. Um, I do read um, a lot of like, um, or, you know, when I can some, some autobiographical books, like um, yeah, like just different football books around, you know, different coaches and those sorts of things. Um, well, I'm just trying to think. Yeah, so th- those are definitely, definitely, um, yeah. And along with ego is the enemy, the obstacle is the way. Um, so great book. Mm-hmm. Also, they're both they yeah. go well in, go well together. Um, there was one. Um, I'm I'm dying to read Atomic Habits. So that's on the on the list. Ah, oh, just finished it. Yeah, yeah, it's a good book. Finished it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I actually started um, reading it, the like the hard copy of it, and then. Um, since coronavirus, I've been going on longer runs again in the morning. So I got on Audible and and um, finished off via Audible. Yeah, and an absolutely unbelievable book. If you haven't read it, is Shoe Dog. Um, just just great. Oh, is it the Nike one? Yeah, it's unbelievable. I, I, yeah, I've heard about it, but I haven't read it. Yeah, I think it's just it just gives you so many insights into business and and life. Um, it's just great. Yeah, that that those would be my recommendations. Oh, maybe there's that's the next more, one I'll do. There's plenty more that I've that I've read that are just there but like there yeah we can we can add a whole how good <laughs> yeah maybe i'll put them in i'll pop them in the show notes yeah yeah i'm getting used to these write-ups now i'm, I'm becoming a real podcaster <laughs> <laughs> um so just to finish off i've got a couple of quick fire questions um so yeah i'm i'm making a rule that you have to answer within five seconds because i did this with leash um for those that have listened to her conversations chat and um they weren't they didn't end up being quick fire <laughs> 
<laughs> so my first one is um, if you had one piece of advice for a new strength and conditioning coach or dietitian that you wish you had known when you started, what would it be? Um, don't, in, don't invest in education first, invest in other people probably. Ooh, I like that. Like, like learning from other people, do you mean? Yeah. Or like I think get a mentor, applying, get a mentor, learn from other people. Um, just like build relationships just wherever you can go and meet people. I think I didn't do that enough. I'm like, I'm like my personality probably doesn't necessarily gravitate towards that anyway, but um, the people that have been really important in my life um, from both a dietetics and a, and a strength conditioning point of view, they just, they, they, they can open so many more doors. So I think education will come eventually, but just try to be a good person, try to be a good culture fit. Um, yeah. That would probably be my recommendation. Oh, I like that. That's a good one. Love that. Um, and my second one, and you can't say Italy in this answer, by the way. So if you could live overseas in any country um, with no issue getting there, so no issue with visa or anything like that, where would it be and why? It's a tough one. I'm learning, I'm learning Spanish. So I'm gravitating towards. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm gravitating towards Spain, but I think Scotland would be a close second. Oh, good one. Yeah. <laughs> love it. A bit okay. cold though. It's like a forever winter over there. Yeah. Gotta love winter to go there. <laughs> um, and my very last, and my very last one is if you had a superpower, what would it be and why? Easy. Um, I would choose to stop time. Like sort of like Hermione, you know, in Harry Potter. Like, yeah. 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 Being able to like go back and like do multiple things, you know, at once and like clone yourself and be able to stop time and do it again. I don't know. It's just, I think that's spoken like a true multitasker. Yeah. Like actually do two things at once. Well, like time is such an important thing. So it's like, it's, it's, it's the most important thing we have. So that's what I would use. I think that really highlights that you clearly love what you do because that to me tells me that you don't think there's enough time in a day. And the only people that say that is the people that completely love what they do and wish they had more time to do what they're doing. So that's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Hermes, for joining us. I have just learned so much more, more about you. You're probably, as I said earlier, the mystery of the Compete team. So I've loved sitting down to chat. Um, so thanks so much for your time. Um, and I'm sure everyone listening will get just as much out of this talk as I did. So thanks once again, and we'll see you soon. Thanks, Michaela. See ya. See ya.